0: Okay, so this is what I'm going to speculate about. Uh, Might norms, uh, in a broader sense, moral norms, but social norms more generally, play a role in antisocial behaviour? Plausibly, they do. Uh, Particularly in instrumental behaviour. Uh, My guess is... uh, They would play a a role in reactive aggression as well. So uh, I may aggress reactively, (coughs) uh, despite having a strong norm against it, because I can lose control. um, So having a norm doesn't prevent me aggressing. Nevertheless, plausibly, my norms set thresholds for loss of control. If I hold a norm very strongly, I'm less likely or any given level of perceived provocation. So it may be that uh, norms play a role in aggression. So now I want to talk about norm acquisition. So, no doubt, you know, the problems uh, of uh, equifinality and multifinality uh, and active or evoked uh, gene-environment correlation and passive gene-environment correlation. All of those problems exist here. This is not a way of at all of attempting to come in to to say, here's something else, something different. It's something working. Uh, It's something that's within those same bounds. For at least some children... Emotional processing plausibly plays a role in uh, norm acquisition. Uh, so there's some controversy about this, but it's widely held that psychopaths uh, have atypical norms or I prefer to say have deficits uh, in moral processing, which uh, Uh, might be so extensive as to constitute moral blindness that is blindness to some uh, norms psychopaths of course are are characterised by um, being high in callous unemotional traits uh, particularly empathy so th- this is the controversial research. Uh, there's been some, uh, some some evidence that this may not replicate, but I'm, I have worries about the studies that have shown that this doesn't replicate. There's some evidence in any case that uh, psychopaths have trouble with the moral conventional task, which is a task in which uh, you are asked to... Uh, to distinguish between norms in terms of various criteria, but the one I talk about is authority, uh, independence and dependence. So very young, normally developed children make a pretty strong moral conventional distinction. There's a whole range of transgressions for which children will say, those are authority, independent, um, so, what you do is you ask the child, so here's something that you can't, you're not allowed to do. You know, you're not allowed to do this. Is it the case that it's authority uh, dependent? So, you can say, you know, so you're not allowed to talk in class. What if the teacher says it's okay to talk in class? And normally developing kids typically say, well, in that case, it's okay to talk in class. So they're saying it's authority dependent. But there are some norms. Which they deny our authority dependent. So you say, What if the teacher says it's okay for uh, Mary to hit Johnny over the head with a fire truck? <laughs> then it's okay, and normally developed uh, children say, so, No, it's still wrong. Um, Amish children deny that uh, God can change these sentences. Uh, interestingly, because some people who have, actually have a divine command theory of morality, but honest children apparently don't. And um, on, at least in some evidence, the psychopaths are at or near chance on um, the moral conventional task. Um, as likely that deficits in emotional processing play a role in this failure to acquire typical norms. The lack of empathy here, this is not perspective-taking, but what is he called emotional resonance, uh, uh, brings it about that psychopaths are unable to distinguish norms in terms of their their harmful effects on victims. Uh, They don't see that some transgressions constitute a special kind of class just insofar as no matter what anybody says about whether they're okay or not, people are harmed by them. The the, um, the harm isn't itself you know, mediated by conventions. And plausibly, that's uh, insensi- uh, insensitivity. Uh, is also a sensi- insensitivity to the fact that those harms... Have a reason giving force. You don't hit somebody, not because it's against the rules, because it hurts them. Um, and callous unemotional traits, the inability to resonate with other people's suffering, may make it difficult for people who are high in callous un- unemotional traits to uh, see the force of that norm. Um, Less widely appreciated, I think you know, there's quite a lot of work on that. Less like widely appreciated, in fact, as far as I know, nobody's ever looked at this. Is uh, the role of testimony on norm acquisition? By testimony, I mean both um, verbal instruction. Don't do that; it's wrong. It's testimony, and also sort of modelling, providing an example. Um, I take it that a lot of Caregiver, children, instruction isn't explicit. A lot of it is. I mean, that's distinct about human beings. We do a lot of explicit instruction, uh, but a lot of it is not explicit. It's modelling. It's providing examples. Um, there's lots and lots of work. You know, we're, we're a highly cultural animal. We're a distinctively cultural animal. The other other species do have cultures. That is, they propagate and engage in learned behaviour, and it on but it's very it's, it's sort of a marginal phenomenon in most other animals it's, uh, it's, it's not uh, um, it's not spectacularly developed like it is in human beings and there are various mechanisms of cultural transmission in human beings it's actually a lot of controversy over all this stuff uh, as well but a lot of these cu- cultural norms must be learned we know that because they, they vary by traditions take a Child out of one environment, you move it into another, young enough, and it requires the norms of the new place. Uh, These are almost entirely environmental, plausibly, even cultural invariant norms. Uh, Learning plays a big role. Lots of cultural invariant uh, uh, things, learning does play a big role. triggering. Uh, Genes typically don't do their work all by themselves, they need all kinds of environmental. and there are mechanisms like uh, human beings or children's propensity to over-imitate compared to other animals, uh, children will tend to copy techniques they've been shown, uh, even when they know the point of the technique is to um, achieve some goal, and even when they know that there's a more efficient way of getting that goal, they still tend to, um, to copy the less efficient way if that's the way they've been shown to do it. So this is a way of acquiring a cultural norm. Um, But I'm interested here in testimony as a mechanism of transmission of norms. Um, Notoriously, children elicit testimony, they they seek testimony, um, they ask a lot of questions, and um, they are pervasive consumers of testimony. They're, they are not uh, indiscriminate uh, consumers of testimony. They don't believe anything they're told by anybody, but they do acquire a lot of knowledge through testimony. They use various filters in testimony acquisitions. So they prefer informants who have a record of reliability over informants who uh, have a record of unreliability. They prefer informants who have a record of benevolence over malevolent informants. Um, This mechanism, presumably, to avoid exploitation. Uh, They're sensitive to things like the uh, consensus. so um, They prefer informants that other people judge to be reliable Uh, to the extent they'll prefer... Who has been judged to be reliable on many occasions beforehand. Not by right them, they haven't had any access to uh, measures of whether they're reliable, they have measures only access only to measures of whether a person has been in, uh, judged by others to be reliable. They'll prefer the testimony of that person even when the testimony is counterintuitive and um, countered by conflicting testimony from somebody else who doesn't have such a record. But they will also reject testimony if it uh, conflicts with uh, clear perceptual evidence. Now, some of the same kinds of environmental factors which play a role in uh, the development of conduct problems also play a role in development of receptivity to testimony. So we know, for example, that the children uh, raised in Ceaușescu's orphanages, which were very harsh environments, perhaps not quite abusive, but certainly highly neglectful environments. Uh, They were aberrantly trusting in accepting of testimony. They accepted testimony from strangers uh, uh, without much attempt to discriminate. I'm going to talk about uh, this study of uh, attachment styles and receptivity to testimony. Um, So, what they did, this is uh, Paul Harris's group, um, is they categorized children into the familiar attachment styles um, by reference to uh, their performance in the strange situation. I just mentioned there that you know, attachment styles are... They were widely held to be responses to parenting. Uh, the uh, it, it turns out that, uh, in fact, uh, it's only about one-third of the variance is explained by parenting styles. And that's not controlling for all the kinds of things we've heard about this morning. So um, this isn't necessarily talking about uh, parent, parenting style as an environmental, uh, a clean environmental variant. So, with that caveat. So, they, c- they um, categorized them into these familiar categories uh, the securely attached children. What, uh, this, I should have mentioned the strange situation for those who don't know it. It's basically you bring the child into an unfamiliar environment. I believe the children are about two and a half, three, something like that, in this study. Maybe two, I think. Um, and they're given an opportunity to explore the unfamiliar environment, there's a stranger in the unfamiliar environment, Uh, whether they interact with that stranger is uh, assessed, observed, the caregiver, almost always the mother, withdraws the child's distress while the caregiver's gone is measured, and then whether the... uh, um, the child is comforted by the return of the caregiver, as says. So, securely attached children, they explore when the primary caregiver is there, they interact with the stranger, they are distressed when the uh, caregiver withdraws and reassured uh, when she returns. Ambivalent children explore relatively little, um, they're intensely distressed by the withdrawal of the caregiver, And then behave ambivalently, they may literally push, run run to the mother and push her away uh, on her return. Avoidant children um, explore and interact as if they're indifferent to the caregiver, whether she's there or uh, withdraws. Autonomic system system, uh, measures show a different story, they show little signs of overt distress and little overt reaction. When she returns. Okay, this is a longitudinal study. They did a two year follow up and then a further one year follow up. Um, um, And then what they they did is they had the mother and a stranger give the child conflicting testimony. They had an unfamiliar item they bought from the hardware store or something, and the mother would hold it up and say, you know, this is a Zut. Stranger would hold it up and say, this is a pub. Uh, that's not a well-chosen word. <laughs> uh, imagine some other meaningless phoneme. Uh, and they want to know whose testimony the child assesses. So across all groups, children prefer their mother's testimony. But it's ju- there's an insignificant trend towards that uh, for avoidant children. Almost a, t- a chance in their testimony it's a stronger it's 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 significant for secure children and it's strongest for ambivalent children they're the ones who accept their mother's testimony most strongly um, then there was a further one-year follow-up in this case again conflicting testimony um, From a stranger and the primary caregiver, but now it was testimony concerning symmetrical and asymmetrical hybrids. So this is a symmetrical hybrid. It's a hybrid hybrid between a cow and a horse, and the idea is um, it's as equally likely that's a cow or a horse. Testimony either way is just as plausible. And this is an asymmetrical hybrid. The idea is, that's a fish with wings, right? It's not a bird. Uh, it's a fish with wings. we be highly counterintuitive to call that a fish. So again, they're given conflicting testimony with regard to those two hybrids. And on the symmetrical hybrid, they replicate the first result. That is, children prefer their mother's testimony over... strangers, but secure children and ambivalent children much more strongly. In fact, on this one, I think the the avoidant children were were really at chance with regard to uh, that testimony. In the asymmetrical uh, case, though, the mother gave the counterintuitive testimony. While the stranger gave the intuitive testimony. So the mother says, That's a bird. And the stranger says, That's a fish. Now secure (coughs) and avoidant children go with the perceptual evidence. Ambivalent children don't they accept the counterintuitive testimony of their primary caregiver. Now, abusive parenting styles, and just neglectful parenting styles, are associated with ambivalent attachment styles. So here's the speculation. Maybe this plays a role in the transmission of aberrant norms, either by explicit instruction or modelling, from caregiver, who may themselves be the source of the abuse or more likely the neglect, to their children. Because their ambivalence, their their attachment style is ambivalent, they're more likely to uh, accept the norms of uh, their parents. So uh, kids who are high in um, callous and emotional may acquire atypical norms through lack of emotional resonance. Those who are low in callous uh, and emotional traits may acquire... Don't forget, it's a, a reason why I've divided it that way is the high uh, callous unemotional emotional trait. Uh, Children are much less... Uh, uh, There's not, uh, not much evidence that they are uh, sensitive to bad parenting. It's the, the, um, the low kind of an emotional trait children who are sensitive to bad parenting, that may produce the uh, ambivalent attachment style, and thereby uh, a tendency to absorb norms uh, from their parents who themselves have aberrant norms. So, highly speculative, but uh, maybe we considering. Mm-hmm.